Sorry y'all have to see my face so much this morning, but, or you're welcome, depends on, I guess, on how you feel about my face. My mom says it's really pretty, so. Um, yeah, so, um, I'm actually excited to get to talk this morning. I, over the years, it's kind of become interesting, and I think it's probably the same for Jordan, but, um, speaking has become less and less of some like big chore and like something else where it's just like, well, okay, God, I guess just tell me what you want me to say and I'll do my best, you know? Um, and I think part of that too is just like, part of that is just family. Like you guys are easy to talk to, you know? I don't have to like, I don't come up here and wonder what everyone's going to think about, about what comes out of my mouth, you know? Like if I say something stupid, then like I know that that'll be okay too. So there's something kind of beautiful about that. Um, when we were, uh, I remember sitting at a, I remember, this is getting kind of ringy. Are you just trying to get it loud enough for everyone online or something? Okay. Um, um, I remember sitting at a, at a table, where were we? Some noodle place <laughs> with Jordan and Andrea uh, last year when we were kind of like talking about where God was leading and well, that's when we first came up with this idea of fasting, fasting and feasting. Um, and honestly, I had no idea when we came up with that. And I don't think either of them were thinking of this either. I did, I've never celebrated Eastertide or like can look to Easter as this like, you know, 40-day thing like the early church did. You know, they had like 40 days of, of Lent and then 40 days of Easter, you know? And it's, it's literally fasting and then feasting. It's literally a 40-day feast, like, celebration event. Um, and so I think that we accidentally, to some degree, stumbled upon, uh, upon something new, but something very old at the same time. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit today about um, re- resurrection life, just continuing that discussion. And... Uh, the way that that looks at us, the way that that looks in, in Jesus. And so I want to start, before, we, uh, before I really start the message, I want to read Ephesians 1 together. You go ahead and put that up there. Here we go. Ephesians 1, this is 8 through 10. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So go back to verse 8 there. Um, I feel like whenever the Bible says things like this, this is like cue that this is like a key moment. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Like, okay, this is suddenly important, right? Like, he's about to tell you the mystery of his will. And he says, in the, go ahead and go to the next uh, screen. He says that it's to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's, that's the mystery of his will. He's, he's helping, you, helping you dig in and uh, get it simply. So let's just pray that God will help us to understand that. Lord, we just ask you that you would bring clarity to our understanding of your will, God. Help us to understand what it means to bring unity um, to heaven and earth. Help us to understand how to be in you and be one with you. Um, help us to begin to, to carry the mantle of being co-heirs with you. 
and the responsibility and power authority that you're putting on our shoulders. God, let us have open hearts to understand and open hearts to accept. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I'm going to try to be pretty quick today because I feel like I'm starting kind of late here and I often talk longer than I intended to. So I'm going to do my best. Um, one thing that has really always has fascinated me for years about scripture, and I was, I was talking to our house church about this this week, is the connection from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible and all the threads that run through it. Like there are all these things that are said maybe in the, in the garden that'll be echoed in, res, in Revelation or something that, that starts in the garden that Jesus talks to his disciples about. Or, and there are things, there are symbols like, uh, like keys, for example, or like death and life. Like there are these themes that run through scripture. And if you just will take a theme and you'll just follow it through the entirety of scripture, a lot of times you'll be mind blown. Like you'll get so much revelation that you wouldn't have gotten maybe by reading, um, you know, like you may, may not have made the connection except for you just take one theme and you just follow it through scripture. And I think that those are always interesting. One, um, one parallel that I have noticed recently is the parallel between um, the creation in the garden and Adam and then Jesus and um, the new creation that is to come. Okay, so I'm going to give you this idea, and this may seem a little bit abstract right now, but we'll, we'll tie it together. Um, I, I'm going to read Genesis, uh, a couple of, uh, verses out of Genesis 2, and when I read it, I don't want you to think of Genesis. I want you to think of Jesus on Saturday after he was crucified. Okay? By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then we move on to the eighth day, right? Which is basically the first day after God says that a new creation is done. If you look at it in Genesis, okay, the world gets to begin. But if you look at it after the work has been done, Jesus says, just as he does in Genesis, Jesus says, it is finished on the cross. And then I don't think we have full clarity of what really happens over the next day or so, next couple days there. But we know that Saturday, he seems to be resting in a grave, or maybe he's somewhere preaching to captives in prison, right? But then John seems to draw parallels to this because he keeps drawing our attention to, but then on the first day of the week, John says on the first day of the week like 84 times, in, when he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. On the first day of the week, they went to the tomb. Like, he wants you to know that there's something new starting, okay? Something has been finished, something has been completed, and now there's a, there's a new process starting. Um, and so, I, um, when, when I think about resurrection, I think about a redefining of what we think of the afterlife, what we think of our future, what we think of the way that the world works, it completely flipped the paradigm of the way that people understood how the world works, okay? So, and I'm going to go ahead and give credit ahead of time before I, uh, I'm about to just hit a bunch of points here. And some of them I absolutely 100% heard from N.T. Wright. And he is a genius, and so I'm going to steal his stuff, and I'm not going to reference him every time I say something that I heard from him, because I don't even know everything that I heard from him at this point. 
I listened to him a long time ago, and Jordan asked me if I'd talk about resurrection life, and I thought about, what should I talk about? And then I immediately thought of N.T. Wright, because he probably has been the most influential person to me on that subject, maybe along with Dan Moeller, but um, in a different way. So re- the, the resurrection, here's what it did. It redefined the afterlife. So what people then think, thought of the afterlife and what people now, even Christians, often think of the afterlife is we think of, we think of this current life on earth as preparation for this spirit life that is to come. And then our spirits are going to get whisked off to heaven and we're going to like live in some other like really sparkly spirit realm, right? Like this is, this is kind of like throughout history, a lot of what people are looking forward to. Like the Bible says that eternity is set in the hearts of men. And so I think there's always this thing that's been drawing people to look toward an afterlife. But what it looks like is very confusing and very spacey. You know what I mean? And so I think that what happens with the resurrection is that we get the, the idea of an afterlife redefined for us, okay? Because we see in Jesus this pattern where he lives, and then he dies, and he waits, and then he becomes a new creation, right? We see Jesus appearing to people after his resurrection, and they don't, they don't know what he is. They don't know who he is. He seems to come in different forms, and he has some sort of resurrected body that we clearly don't have a full understanding of. But what we do know is that we see this pattern of... Um, a resurrected and perfected body, okay? Not, not Jesus walking around with no body, right? Like Jesus didn't come appear to everyone later as some kind of weird uh, floaty spirit form. He came with a body. It just wasn't the body that they, that they understood, okay? Um, so What I think that the what I think the, the one of the biggest importance of the resurrection is is that it is setting us up for the story of new creation. Okay, the, the Bible talks about Jesus being the first fruits of those risen from the dead, which means that there's a, a big harvest coming later of those who would also be risen from the dead. And what we see in Jesus, the model that is that we follow is new creation. But I wanna, what I want to point out today is that the, the model that we're looking forward to is not only new creation of our bodies, new creation of who we are as people, but also new creation of the entire world. So in contrast to this idea that what we're going to do is do our very best, and then hopefully we do good enough and we get whisked away to this perfect heaven place that's a completely separate other place, what I'm trying to get across is that God's desire is not to take you somewhere else. God's desire is not to make you someone else. God's desire is to renew, restore, and perfect everything that he's created. So when we look back from the story of Eden to the story of forever, then what happens in in the story of Genesis is that God creates everything, and it, it says that he looks at it and says what? He says that it's good, right? And so God liked creation when he did it the first time. And God's intention is not to make you a completely different person. God's intention is not to to take you to some heaven that's nothing like earth. His desire is to restore his original plan that he created you, that he created everything around us on the earth 
to be good. And he's a God of goodness and a God of creative order. And so God's plan with resurrection, can we, can we all agree on this? God's plan with resurrection is not to save you and take you to some faraway dimension. God's pr- plan with resurrection is to renew and restore. So what we have in us, and I think this has been in us from the very beginning of all time, is we have this, this divine desire, longing for beauty and justice. I think you even see this playing out in our society right now. Um, you know, whenever, whenever things get hard in society, then you have people, one, one thing people do is they grasp for justice. There's a lot of gra- grasping and grappling for justice going on right now. And politically speaking, sorry, the Bible gets political sometimes. Politically speaking, it, I don't really like care which side of what line you fall on with all the different protests and, and whatever, everything that's going on. Because, I mean, there's, there's everything from, from, you know, racism to, to gender to sexuality to blah, 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 blah. And I'm not, my point right now isn't to go into what's right and what's wrong, but it's to point out that people have a longing for justice. And that's because that's how it was set up from the beginning. Eden was a place of justice. Eden was a place where people were given choices. They were given an option to eat from the tree of eternal life, they were given the tree to eat from the knowledge of good and evil, right? Um, everything was put in its right place. Like the, the, um, the integration of the plants and the animals and the creation and the water and the earth and the people and God himself, everything was put in its proper order and it was just. You understand what I'm saying? It was, it was in a place, a state of justice. And it was also a state of beauty, And God did not want for the people to lose this place of beauty and justice which he had created for them to live. In fact, if you think about it, God's intention has never been to create some other place and pull us up to live in his realm. But his desire has been to create a realm for us that he could come down and dwell with us. That's always been his thing. I've even heard people say that that's the difference between Christianity and other religions is that other religions all... Your requirement is that you try to ascend the mountain to find God. But in Christianity, God comes down the mountain. God creates a place for you, and he comes and says, I'm going to dwell here with you. And so his idea of resurrection is that as we are people who become resurrected from the death that has invaded the world that God created, that God would once again restore this place and make it a beautiful place where where he would come and dwell with us. Okay. Um, so when so whenever we have when there, there are so many um, there are so many parallels in scripture, so many so many things that are both real and symbolic. Um, so whenever we see Jesus die on the cross and then become resurrected, let me ask you a question. Whenever someone dies, what usually happens to their body? It decays, right? Because the reason that we die is the, is the influence of sin and death on the world, right? Like, once again, like, we, we just talked about Eden. God's walking around with them, right? 
God's like, hey, I don't want you to eat from that tree because I want to be able to just walk around and hang out with you. Like this is, this is face-to-face communion, you know? And whenever death in, enters the world, then a process of decay is started. And through the, through the decisions of men and through the actions uh, of evil spirits, we'll just say, just call it what it is, then the world has gone into a process of degradation and decay. Um, and it apparently, like, you can see that it got to such a point where, like, even in the, the days of Noah, it says that, that God regretted what he had made because the, the decay had gotten so ugly and so bad, right? This, this system of beauty and justice where everything was in its right place, it seemed to be, by sin and death, really mangled at least. I won't say destroyed, but really, really mangled. And so when we see what happens with Jesus, we see that Jesus' body stops the process of decay. When he's resurrected, his body stops the process of decay, not only for him, but, in, but to bring the power to stop the process of decay to us, to creation, and to give authority back to mankind that had been lost. I've thought a lot about this idea that we are being made perfect um, through Jesus. And it's actually been something I've really wrestled with through the years, like theologically, like, you know, um, you hear a lot of people that are, that are teaching like, hey, it's finished, like everything's done. And you have other people that are like, well, we're just worthless sinners and like hopefully we'll make it to heaven, you know? And you can see where both sides of that would be coming from. Um, but I think, what, I think what really happens at the resurrection, I've been thinking about this a lot, and if I'm wrong, then I'm sorry. Um, but I might come back and apologize next year. Who knows? But I think what really happens at the, at the death and resurrection, like Jesus says it is finished. Yes, it is finished. That part of the process is finished because Jesus, he knows that like, his resurrection is going to like, inaugurate part two of the story right? And so, so the provision is complete, okay? This is what I believe right now. The provision is complete, but the work is not complete. The work is far from complete. Because when I look at myself, um, you know, I really held on really tight for some years to this idea that the provision is complete, and like, we don't have to sin ever again, and like, um, and I still believe that to be true, although like, I did not succeed at it. And I'm going to guess that none of you probably have either. Um, the provision is complete, but the work is far from complete. And if, if this right here that you're looking at is like God's completed, finished version, then I'm pretty disappointed. Um, but I don't believe that. Like, I believe that completion is to come in the future. And I believe that we, as Christians and followers of Jesus, we need to really do well at setting our sights on something that's in the future and that is to come and that is, that is a hope. Like, you need a hope to move toward. And the hope, I believe, is the restoration of beauty and justice to God's world. Okay? The final scene of the Bible, the final scene of the Bible is not a bunch of souls floating up to heaven. It's the new Jerusalem coming down to earth. 
Okay, like it's God coming back and saying, this place has now been restored to such beauty and perfect order that my, the, the, the people that I originally said, these are going to be my creation, they've been made new. And, but they're not, they're not different. They're the same, but they've been made new. Okay? And I don't, we can't even fully understand that. The earth that I created and said this was going to be a beautiful place, when I created it and said this is good, it's been restored to a place that once again I say, here's a version that I can put my stamp on and say this is good. And so... I think that we need to look forward to what God's intention for our world and for ourselves is, which is that we're going to constantly be, um, we're going to constantly be made more beautiful, more just, more in perfection as we are resurrected. Okay, but what I want you to get the idea of, like a lot of times I think, and I think this is kind of a paradox. A lot of times I think, well, Jesus was crucified and rose again, and then I died to myself and I rose again. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But like, it feels like, like we have to also understand that the resurrection of us isn't complete. See what I'm saying? There's like a, a big paradox there. Like, yes, we are walking in the power of the Spirit. Before, before Jesus went to the cross, we were bound by the power of the law. And we had to, within ourselves, find something good enough to be perfect and not make mistakes. And that was impossible. Okay? With the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, now you are actually enabled to withstand temptation. You're actually enabled to live uh, in God's perfection. But what you need to, what you need to get is that, um, we'll just say it this way, the power of the age to come has been unleashed, unleashed on this world the day that Jesus was resurrected. The power of the age to come was unleashed, and we are not seeing it in completion, but we have access to it. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I like to, one of those parallels I like to draw through the, through the scripture is like essentially keys to the kingdom. And in Eden, God gives Adam the keys to the kingdom. He says, here's what I want. I want for you to rule over all this. Your authority is over all of the earth. And this is the place you're going to live. And it's, it's basically when we say we're going to be co-heirs with Christ, well, go ahead and look back to Eden. Like, Literally, God made everything, and then he gave it all to Adam and said, this is all yours. It's all your authority. But somewhere in the process of all that degradation and decay, what happened is that Satan became ruler of this world. Satan took the authority. And probably you could say that man willingly handed it over to him, right? Because I don't think Satan is actually good enough to take it from you. I think you would have to give it to him. But then we see all of these... Um, all of these, for, uh, all this foreshadowing of restoration, like for example, when Jesus talks to Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? And he, G, Peter tells him he's, he knows he's the Messiah. And Jesus said, well, blessed are you for, because, uh, because man has not revealed this to you, but, but my father in heaven. And he says, so I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the authority that man gave away back in Eden, given back to man. And this is a foreshadowing because they couldn't have complete power yet. But with the resurrection of Jesus, death is defeated. The power of sin is defeated, okay? Like, do you know how tyrants rule people? They rule people with fear. 
That's exactly the song we were singing earlier. It's the opposite. God turns everything on its head. When Jesus talks on the Sermon on the Mount, he flips everything on its head from what you would expect. He says, no, it's not going to be the tyrants that will rule the world. It's going to be the meek. Because, because evil rules the world like a tyrant. And the threat is death. And the threat is fear. But whenever Jesus conquers death, then the tyrant no longer has anything to wield against you. You have nothing left to fear because death becomes, uh, what's that? Sorry, I'm just thinking. Um, the song that uh, Makeda and Abriel sang on Easter, it says, um, it, it's called death, be, death Be Not Proud. And one of the lines in it says, um, what does it say? It says, uh, it basically says death, how, oh, there we go. Uh, go to the next one. Yeah, so death, if your sleep be the gates to heaven, why your confidence? Think about that. So death, if your sleep be the gates to heaven, why your confidence? The point is that the tyrant no longer has anything to wield because what he's wielding is actually just a gate to a better place. It's actually just a gate to perfection and renewal. So you no longer have anything to fear because Jesus has conquered death. The provision is finished. The process isn't. But it's guaranteed. Okay? And this is what I think is such a big deal. Realize this. The provision is finished. The process is not even close to finished. But the process is guaranteed. And what does the Bible say that our guarantee is? Anybody? It says the Spirit. There we go. It says the Spirit is your guarantee. Multiple times in Scripture, it says, like, how, will you, how do you know? How do you know if you are actually going to have salvation, right? How, how do you know if you're actually going to have the ultimate resurrection? Well, because you have the Spirit, and He's given as a guarantee. So the provision is finished, the process isn't, but it is guaranteed. Heaven and earth were meant from the beginning to overlap. Okay? This was the concept of Eden. The concept of Eden was not heaven in one place, earth in another place, they're far away, and you're either in one place or the, or, or the other. The idea was that heaven overlaps. The idea was that you walk and talk with God. Right? The idea, and I, I'm, I did definitely still steal this line directly from N.T. Wright, and I want to get it right. He said this, We were meant to stand at the threshold between the two summing up all the praise of all creation to the Father and carrying God's authority back to the earth. So just imagine yourself standing at the threshold between heaven and earth. Don't think of them as places. Think of them maybe more as dimensions or something. I don't know. What I can tell you is that they often end up in the same place at the same time. And somehow, man is this stand-between right? That's when God gave the authority. All of a sudden, we're God's go-to go for having authority in the earth. But also, we're creation's go-to of giving praise to the Father. You know when it says, if you don't cry out, the rocks will do it for you? Well, guess what? You get to observe all of creation. You are the highest point of all of God's creation, and you get to look around and see everything that that all of creation sums up, and you get, to, uh, you get to be the intermediary for creation. I'll just say it that way. You get to be the high priest 
for all of creation, that you get to go to God and you say, God, here's the praise of all creation and I'm bringing it to you. It's really a beautiful picture. Heaven and earth overlapping. In Jesus, I want you to think about this. This this is the proof of this concept. In Jesus, humanity and divinity are held together. Let's read Ephesians 1 one more time. This, This scripture... Uh, makes a lot more sense when you think of it in this context. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's not only something Christ did, it's something that Christ embodied It's something that he was. He was literally the embodiment of humanity and divinity all held together. Heaven and earth overlapping. And this is what John Martin Remillon wrote whenever whenever he wrote the lyrics that everyone sang and didn't know how to take. So heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, right? Like a lot of people were offended by those words, but I think that he was getting this concept of like, where does one begin and the other one ends? Well, you go search through the body of Jesus and you tell me. You figure out where one ends and the other one begins, right? And that's the, that's the concept of eternity. That's the concept of what my kids really, really believe in, which is a new heaven and new earth. And I'm serious because they have no fear of death. It's really terrifying to me. They're like, I'm going to jump off this. I'm like, no, you can't do that. You could die. They're like, that's okay. Papa told us there's a new heaven and new earth. It's going to be better. And I'm like, yeah, but please don't jump. I really don't want you to die. Um, but it is actually it is actually that beautiful. Like for eternity, the idea of everything being renewed to perfect unity between heaven and earth. Perfect unity between humanity and divinity. So much so that God will be able to entrust you as a co-heir a co-ruler. That's what he wanted to do in the first place. So we are to do the same as Jesus, holding humanity and divinity as close and as sloppy and as mixed up as possible. And it's all because the power of resurrection has been loosed. It couldn't have happened before. It was all messed up. It was all... It was all in a state of decay until Jesus put an end to death and to decay. The interesting thing about all this is that Jesus, I already mentioned this, but Jesus gave us a format for what all this restoration looks like, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. Like What Jesus is telling us is that the, the gods of the gods of money and power and sex and, and self-fulfillment, they're all going to bow to humility and servanthood. Because humility and servanthood end up restoring beauty to the world and they end up restoring justice to the world. And so this is where things get really messy because we have this idea that 
Jesus not only died for us, but Jesus restored so that everything, uh, Jesus died and resurrected so that everything could be restored to its rightful place and its rightful condition. And so if that is God's desire, then that has to be our desire. Our desire for our life has to be that we, the people around us, and the world around us would be restored to beauty and to justice. And if you take it, if you take that as, as, uh, let that sink as deep as you can into you, then it does end up requiring action. You know, and this is where the debates come about of like, well, is being saved, you know, is being saved faith or is it, is it works, right? Well, it's faith, but whenever you are partnering with God, then your works will restore beauty and they will restore justice to the world. And this is where we get really, uh, it gets really hard for us to figure out what to do with the church and politics and how do they mix and should the church be um, political or should it not? And all, I don't know the, all the answers to that question. All I know is that we should be doing whatever we can to restore beauty and justice to the world. Like I'll tell you that, I'll, I'll tell you that I think, uh, like one example, like I mean when, when slavery was abolished, that's something that brought justice back to the world, right? Like, so there, there are things in our society, I'm not even trying to make some big political point or start like a rally or like we can all go to the Supreme Court steps and get arrested or whatever. But w- what I am telling you is when you think about the way that you live your life, I want you to ask yourself those questions because I, I often come to the point of, um, of saying, I want to do what God wants, but I don't know what to do. Do you guys do that? Like, I'm like, man, I really have a desire to like do something, but I'm not really sure what to do. And like, I don't know what my, I don't know what my motto is to some degree. Like to some degree I do, to some degree I'm like, yeah, I want to be righteous. I want to love people, etc. But I don't know, like at least for now, this is kind of becoming my, uh, my internal rally cry is like, do something that'll bring beauty to the world. Do something that'll bring justice to the world. Make it more just than it is today. You know, make it more beautiful than it is today. And I think that that's, beauty is, is a really interesting concept because this is where I think that, who in here would say that you have some, like you're an artist in some way? Like, I don't know. Like anything that you could consider maybe art, poetry, music, dance, painting, drawings, speaking, writing, whatever. Like, the beauty of, the, the beauty of art is that it's, uh, or the power of art is that it's transcendent. Like, somehow, when you really experience art, you feel something that pulls you out of the, um, like, the stagnation and the dullness of this world, and all of a sudden there's, it's not really that easy to explain, but what it is, is it's beauty, Right? Like you experience beauty and you go like, oh, like, and, and what I think what happens is that we begin to transcend sometimes into like a heavenly realm. Like there's, there's a lot of overlap going on, you know, because someone brought beauty back to the world and God's creation in Eden was meant to, like, I, I have to imagine if you were in Eden that you would look around and go, whoa, you know what I mean? Like, this is so beautiful. This is so incredible. Like, it would just take your breath away. Because I see beauty all the time right now outdoors, and, I, and we're looking at a world that's not perfect. We're looking at a world that's had decay. 
So I think that in many ways in our lives, we have opportunity to bring beauty and justice back to the world. Um, I want to tell you how much power God actually even gave you. I'm jumping around a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, But I want to tell you how much power God even actually gave you in this stuff. He said to the disciples, he said, if you forgive someone's sins, then they're forgiven. But if you keep holding them against them, then they'll be held against them. Like this, when we talk about like the the power to be co-heirs, like I don't believe you're becoming God or anything, but oh my goodness, that's a scary, scary thought. Think about that. Think about how crazy that is. God is sharing his authority with you. Like Jesus makes all the Pharisees and Sadducees mad because he's forgiving people's sins, right? And they say only God can do that. Well, then Jesus really breaks the the barrier between heaven and earth because he says, hey, guess what? Now you get to forgive people's sins. It's the farthest thing from what a man could do. It is literally, if you think of what God can do and what man can do, the farthest thing from, from, that man can do from what God can do is to forgive someone's sins. And he turned and he said, I give you the power. Not only do I give you the keys to the kingdom, not only do I give you authority on earth, I give you the power to forgive people's sins. I know that might bug some people. You got to deal with it. It's in the scripture. I want you to understand how much authority God wants to give you and how much authority that you have because what I want is for us to all begin to think of like, okay, if God gave us that much authority, what's he trying to do? And what he's trying to do is restore the earth, all of the earth to be restored so that he can bring back the new Jerusalem and so that he can come down and dwell with us forever, face to face. I'm going to invite you to come grab the communion elements. And we'll take a moment of silence before we take it together. Um, I want to invite you to, to just let God talk to you about beauty and justice. I was a little jumbled on getting all my words right today, but hopefully you followed me that the story has always been the same. The story has always been God coming 
to be with you. God wanting to be with you. God wanting to restore you to the point that you could be together in perfect union. And as I was reading uh, yesterday, as I was reading the story of um, the, the stories of people encountering Jesus after the resurrection, I know Susanna talked about a lot of those last week. I uh, actually wrote down something, and then I, I laughed about it because what I wrote down, I wrote down, people don't find the resurrected Jesus; he finds them. And then I laughed because I thought it sounded a lot like a Chuck Norris joke. Chuck Norris doesn't, <laughs> Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups. The world push, pushes away from Chuck, Chuck Norris. I can't even talk. I don't know. I started thinking about Chuck Norris jokes and I laughed. But maybe that will help you remember it. <laughs> People don't find the resurrected Jesus. He finds you. <laughs> they all went looking for him, didn't they? They all went looking for him. And they couldn't find him. But he always found them. And God will always find you. If you're open, if you're desperate, if you want unity, then you can't get it. Like you're unable. I've tried a lot of times in my life when I've been like in a spot of where I really didn't want to pray and I'm like, I'm going to muster up some stuff and I'm going to pray really good and it really doesn't work. Until I submit and I go like, man, God, I just can't do it. Like, I don't know how to want to pray right now. You ever been there? Lots of John Mark quotes coming to my mind. One of my favorite lines he says is, I want to love you when the blood in my veins don't know how to. I want to love you when the birds don't hang around. I find myself many times throughout life going like, man, I want to be better than I am. And I want to want you, God, more than I do. And I try really, really hard. And I work at it. And like, it just doesn't work. I find myself like, God, I still don't want you that much. And I really want to. Does that make sense? And so my encouragement to you is to let's just stop for a moment and be quiet and say, and just recognize like, God, I can't perfect me. I can't be good enough. But your resurrection power changes things. And I want to move toward the new creation. So if you'll just find me, I know I can't find you. I know I can't find the resurrected Jesus, but I know that if I wait and I'm humble, then you'll find me. So let's just take one moment of silence and we'll take communion together. Go ahead and take.
together. just say thank you Jesus I want to affirm something that Zane is saying here um, and I want I just want to highlight like really really excellent word thank you for that and I want to I want to highlight something that is sometimes hard for us to grasp in in our particular culture but the beauty that God puts into our lives and into the world is not a tertiary thing um, we we can have we can sometimes have a sense that like oh like things being good or enjoying things or things being beautiful or you know like god really wants to solve my problems that's that's like he's he's more on the justice end let's be honest i mean come on like that's that that's the way that we we think god really his main thing is let's solve the problems but you need to realize that the story that Zane talked about is that the whole scriptural story starts at a place of beauty. And goodness encompasses both of those justice and beauty. And so God doesn't just want your life to be right. He wants it to express his beauty. And that's not, it's not a tertiary thing. It's not a secondary thing. It's a, it's a, it's a preeminent thing. And so I just wanted to just I just really, really affirm this this message and and the point that God has a desire to make life good and beautiful within us and around us, and and that's not secondary. We we start at the the Garden of Delight. So anyway, um, thank you. Great word. Andrea has some uh, announcements, and we'll close with. You don't have to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just go really quick. Besides daily prayer and house church this week, we have a couple of other ones. So tomorrow night, ladies' Bible study starts. We're going to meet here at the church at 7 o'clock, and Jeremisha is leading us. Uh, so we're really excited about that. If you are a lady and you would like to join in, please let me know ASAP. I have a total of nine um, study guides that I'm giving out at a discount. After that, you'll have to be on your own at purchasing. So let me know ASAP if you're going to be there tomorrow night. I have a pretty good list so far. So we're super excited. And then guys, hangout night, May 11th at 8.30 p.m. Y'all are going to do another bowl of rama in Rowlett. So mark your calendars for that. Other than that, we will end today with the prayer of St. Francis, led by Taylor Coakley. All right, you guys can read this with me. <laughs> Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood 
as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You are dismissed. That was also a cue for music of some kind.